Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 245 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. One of the biggest challenges beekeepers face each season is the identification of pests and diseases, working out how serious that problem is and then deciding what course of treatment to take, if any. Here's part one of my summary of what to look out for this season. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we're into February and the roller coaster that is how our winter weather system continues uh, at some pace, really. We jump from frosty mornings and chilly days to very spring-like conditions where some in the UK are experiencing temperatures as high as 13 or 14 degrees Celsius. That's around 57 degrees Fahrenheit. Meanwhile, our friends in North America are suffering from severe cold conditions with snow and ice, Arctic conditions creating wind chill temperatures of around minus 34 degrees Celsius. Now, that's quite scary. Despite this, our honeybees, for the most part, survive at either end of these very different weather systems. Bees in the extreme cold, if a large enough colony, will cluster tightly, maintain an essential minimum core temperature and just sit it out. While here in Norfolk, with temperatures peaking into low double figures, our bees have been very active during the warmest part of the days. Those clusters of bees break apart and workers will fly out, particularly on toilet breaks I guess, before heading off to forage and there's a lot out there right now for our bees to get stuck into. I was out delivering some honey during the week and had it in mind to visit a small copse of trees that, in previous years, has been alive with winter aconite and snowdrops. I wasn't disappointed. There's a photograph on my Patreon page. It was a carpet of yellow and white. Without getting too sentimental or, God forbid, poetic... I'm always taken aback by the beauty of our natural world when left to its own devices and not mucked about with, as it were. I think this little copse has been left undisturbed for many, many years, and as a result, it's been able to, well, just exist. The winter aconite is certainly the dominant plant on the ground, but the snowdrops pop up in clumps everywhere, like small atolls in an ocean of yellow. Well, I think that's enough poetry from me for one week. The most noticeable thing was the total absence of any honeybees. I didn't see a single one. There were lots of other insects about, though, but I guess no one locally had any beehives, as the bright yellow carpet is visible from some distance away. I'm sure if there were honeybees nearby, they would be all over it. As I said last week, we're not through winter yet, so don't go messing around with your bees just yet. A bit of feed and a quick check to make sure colonies are okay, maybe by lifting the roof on a cold day. But on these warmer days, it's simply enough to watch at the entrance to see bees flying around, buzzing backwards and forwards as they go off on foraging flights. Pete and I spent a few minutes watching bees flying in and out of some colonies on Friday and we both saw workers 
coming back with pollen loads. It's a really good indicator that all is well in the beehive. Interestingly, and something I mention on a regular basis, is that one of the colonies was noticeably quieter than all the rest. If you have more than one colony, then you've got something to compare. These colonies, the quiet ones, always deserve a closer look. I say look, but a listen is also helpful. Pete put his ear to the side of the hive and gave the box a gentle tap with his knuckles, and he was rewarded with a reactive buzz from the bees inside. Sometimes that's all you need to do. It is worth making sure the entrance is clear for the bees to actually get in and out of the hive though, but otherwise there's no need to start messing them about and opening them up. Now is a great time to swat up on all of the pests and diseases that you might encounter in the coming season. We all like to think our bees will be strong and healthy, expand well, not swarm. Well, we can but hope on the swarming front, I guess, but no one wants colonies that struggle, have pests and diseases that slow them down, or even worse, causes the colony to collapse and die. Before I go further, it's important to say that the vast majority of pests and diseases that affect our honeybees pose no real problem if the beekeeper is attentive and takes action early enough. Most issues can be resolved and most colonies can be recovered or helped along to develop into strong productive colonies for the summer. But let's start with the worst case scenario, foul brood diseases. Having said most situations are recoverable and the beekeeper can sort them, foul brood diseases are the exception, certainly in my mind and here in the UK. American foul brood, Penobacillus larvae, if you're keen to learn the Latin names, is one that results in the destruction of the colony, particularly here in the UK, as it's what's known as a notifiable disease, meaning you must call the bee inspectors out to deal with it. This is so important, I'll put a link to the National Bee Unit in the podcast notes. Search a list and make a note of your regional bee inspector's name and telephone number and keep it handy. American foul brood is a spore-forming bacteria. It's highly infectious and can spread easily, not always in the ways you might think. The spores can survive a wide range of conditions and because here in the UK we import a lot of honey, the spores can sometimes be found in that imported honey. And I've heard that beekeepers sometimes, some beekeepers, feed shop-bought honey to their bees. Just don't do it. Don't feed your bees with shop-bought honey, thinking that you're doing them a favour. You might just kill them. Possibly the most regular infection route for our bees, and this applies to all pests and diseases really, is us, the beekeepers. Through a lack of knowledge and understanding, or an unwillingness to deal with infections, or a desire to expand colony numbers, we leave infected, dead hives to be robbed out, we're unable to identify disease symptoms, or just don't see them, or we split infected colonies into nukes in order to produce more nukes, either for ourselves or to sell. But all we do is split and spread disease. Now, I like to think I'm pretty good at looking for pests and diseases in our colonies, but we must always be vigilant. Beekeeper carelessness is probably the biggest cause of the spread of disease here in the UK, and probably worldwide. 
So having warned you all long enough this morning about being aware, let's talk about the foul brood diseases that you might encounter. Hopefully not, but you never know. European foul brood, Melissococcus plutonius, for the swats out there, is different to American foul brood in that it's not a spore-forming bacterium. And these two foul brood diseases are probably the most devastating to our colonies. Spring is a great time to carry out checks for these diseases. I'm not going to describe what to look for today. Maybe in a later podcast next month, we can deal with each disease in turn. But awareness is everything, and good apiary management solves a huge number of issues before they even arise. Dead outs, dead colonies, need clearing away. Entrances blocked up, wax cut out and frames boiled, boxes scorched, and everything readied for reuse before other colonies sniff out the opportunity of late winter stores that can be robbed out and returned to their hive, along, of course, with any infections that might be present. Again, EFB is one of those diseases that, once you understand and recognise, needs immediate notification to your bee inspector and, for me personally, destruction. We've had one incident of European fowl brood in one hive in all the time that I've been beekeeping. I count myself quite lucky, really, but I think the more you inspect, the luckier you get. That colony was destroyed, the equipment cleaned, oh, and the frames are burned. It's just not worth the risk. Again, beekeepers are without doubt the biggest problem in terms of EFB transmission. Robbing and splits are probably the main cause, certainly to my mind. A lack of knowledge, understanding or willingness to deal with the issues at hand are also a problem. The disease gets spread around and other local beekeepers who take all the necessary precautions very often fall victim to another beekeeper's incompetence. Don't be that beekeeper. As I mentioned, spring is a perfect time to kickstart your season by performing your first disease checks of the year. Colonies are likely to be at their smallest as they emerge from winter and begin growing into the reproductive phase of the year, enabling you to see much more on each frame than if you were carrying out a similar inspection at the height of the season. Pick a mild day, a t-shirt day as we would describe it, and try to get out to the hive at the warmest point of the day, early afternoon most likely. Obviously, suited up and smoke lit, I wouldn't expect this to be the first inspection of the season by any means. You will have already probably popped inside to see that the bees are at the very least alive and that there are eggs present. This is a more thorough inspection, so it needs to be at a time of day when you have a decent amount of time to spend on the hive and you're not rushed. For more experienced beekeepers, you're probably already doing disease inspections as a matter of routine. That said, I have encountered some very experienced beekeepers who either just don't bother to look for disease or don't know what they're looking for, which seems crazy to me. For those of you in your first few years of beekeeping, it simply makes sense to make sure your bees are as healthy as possible. And if you find one colony with an issue, you can take steps to prevent it from spreading to all the others. So how do you carry out a disease inspection? Think about the colony in three parts. Think about adult bees, eggs and larvae, and finally pests. As you remove the roof and crown board, take a look at the adult bees. 
If you can do this without using too much smoke, it will allow you to look closely at the workers and make sure they're in good shape and not suffering from anything like deformed wing virus or chronic bee paralysis virus. What you're trying to do is train yourself to look at a blanket of healthy bees so that your mind alerts you when your eyes see something that's different. It's really tricky to explain, but what I'm suggesting is that you're not looking for individual healthy bees, rather a broad mass of healthy bees. And when one of them doesn't fall into that category, your brain kind of kicks into alarm mode and it will encourage you to take a closer look. You'll be surprised at how quickly you can spot one or two bees that are not quite right and need a closer look. As with all these things, it takes practice. If you're just getting started, make every inspection an opportunity to practice these different techniques. Checking adult bees for health is something we do each and every inspection, and it takes seconds. Once you remove your first frame, glance at the contents most likely stores and set it aside, having glanced at the adult bees, and then take the next frame and scan that again to see what it contains. We're trying to get to the outer edge of the brood nest before we start our focused inspection. Each frame you look at and set aside will likely be covered with bees, so it's a good opportunity to keep looking at adult bees for signs of health. Once you get a frame that has more than just stores in it, it's time to start a deeper inspection. For this, you need to look at the brood, and the only way to really get a good look at the brood is to shake the adult bees off the frame, and it really doesn't do them any harm. One or two sharp shakes of the frame held inside the brood box will dislodge enough bees to allow you to look at and into brood cells. And what you're looking for is healthy brood, in exactly the same way that you scan over the adult bees. Healthy brood will have clean cappings, I like to describe them as a nice digestive biscuit colour. Open brood will be pearly white in colour, ranging in sizes from the very smallest up to the very largest. And the larvae settle into the bottom of the cell in the shape of a letter C. And if you look closely, particularly at the larger larvae, you will see the individual body segments of that larvae. In some instances, you might even see a yellow blob internally. Nothing to worry about here, generally. This is the larvae's gut, and what you're seeing is probably pollen, certainly in most cases. Healthy larvae, that's all you're looking for. Work your way through, frame by frame, and just admire the healthy-looking brood. The thing here is, as soon as your eyes fall on something that's not normal, it will set off an alarm in your mind. It will trigger something. It's weird how it works, but it's true. Firstly, don't panic. It's probably nothing much to worry about. If you're new to beekeeping, everything will look like a major issue and you'll be rushing indoors to compare mobile phone pictures to what you've seen online. I'll talk about the minor pests and diseases next time, but for today, let's just think about the big two, AFB and EFB. AFB is a disease predominantly of sealed brood, this means when you're scanning the sealed brood, you're looking generally at the cappings, and cappings as I described earlier, that digestive biscuit colour, nice and dry. AFB cappings look almost wet and sunken. 
it's pretty obvious that there's a problem, especially if you've seen healthy brood in other colonies. It just doesn't look right, and when you see it, you'll know exactly what I mean. EFB, on the other hand, is a disease of open brood. And what we mean here is the larvae get infected prior to the cell being capped, so you can see the infected brood in the cells without having to unpick the wax cappings on top. Remember I mentioned seeing the larvae with a yellow sac inside it, its gut? Well, ironically, with healthy larvae looking a pearly white colour, if you see the gut of the larvae looking white, it can be a sign that all is not well. This could be EFB bacteria growing and developing in the gut of that larvae. And I realise all of this is a lot to take in for beginner beekeepers, and you'll probably have several false alarms but better to be concerned over a situation that turns out to be nothing than leave a colony to explode with disease, infect an entire apiary and other beekeepers' stock too. The chances are you're going to find nothing but healthy brood. The vast majority of colonies in the UK are, for the most part, healthy. So don't start panicking just yet. But if you are concerned, even if you're an experienced beekeeper, don't worry about it. Just ask for a second opinion, and if you're really concerned, call your bee inspector. As you're looking through the brood frames, you might well see signs of other pests and diseases, such as wax moth, chalk brood, and varroa. And I'll talk some more about those next time. I think there's more than enough here to give you a few sleepless nights. The single biggest thing you can do to help your bees stay healthy and for you to have a productive season is to start out right at the beginning of the year with some focused disease inspections. Carry these forward through the year and maintain vigilance and you'll probably never see anything other than the odd wax moth tunnel to keep you busy. Decide not to check for disease and you're kind of spinning a wheel of fortune and trusting to luck to get you through. Just don't be that beekeeper. I'm away next week watching the Super Bowl in Pennsylvania with my daughter Beth and her husband Paul. I'm wondering if there are any beekeeping stores close to State College that I could visit. Always looking for an opportunity to pop into a beekeeping store. Anyway, I'll catch up with you all again next time. And don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. And for my latest videos and podcasts with more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Sweet.